0: Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg. Now I want you to imagine that you have been convicted of a capital crime. You've been convicted of murdering someone, sentenced to death by hanging The verdict is final, you're guilty, there's no more grounds for appeal. All you're doing is waiting for your execution, you're a dead man walking. If you were in that situation, how good do you have to be in order to be saved? How good do you have to be to be set free, to walk out of prison as a free man or a woman? It's impossible, right? It's humanly impossible to be set free once you're in that situation, I mean. Doesn't matter how nice you are to the guards. Doesn't how, matter how helpful you are to the other inmates. You are sentenced to death and death you will go. There's no avoiding your fate. Now let's move from the realm of the imagination and move to the realm of reality. From the imaginary world to the real world. The problem is that reality is much worse than the imagination because in reality, if we have learnt anything from the book of Matthew, it is that each and every one of us here is not under the sentence of just death, but we are under the sentence of hell and eternal damnation. Now since we are in that situation, how good do we have to be to be set free? How good do we have to be to be able to walk free from the judgment before us? Well, You can be super good to one another, help the poor, give all your money and possessions away, but it is humanly impossible to break free from that judgment. Now it's only when we correctly understand who we are, sinners, how we stand before God, we are completely guilty, and the impossibility of freedom from our judgment, that we can understand Matthew chapter 26. Now, chapter 26 begins in verse 1, and it says, When Jesus had finished saying all these things. So, chapter 26 with the when links us to chapter 25 about all the things that Jesus had said. And what had Jesus been saying in chapter 25? He had been saying about how glorious He was as the Christ, and how when the end of the ages would come, it would be because He was coming. And the five parables that we read last week, we learned a few things about Jesus. That He was the divine Son of God. He would bring in heaven, joy, inheritance, God's kingdom. He would be the one bringing in the wedding banquet. He would be the ruler of the new age. He would be the judge who had the power to send people to death darkness, hell, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's why it is so shocking because verse 1 follows, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, the Jesus who had spoken of his lordship, his judge, his rulership, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Shocking. Because here was the one who was proclaimed as God's son, divine God, Christ ruler and judge, and he says, in two days time, I'm going to be handed over to be crucified. Now the word here, handed over, is literally the idea to be delivered up. That means God himself is going to knowingly, willingly, deliberately give up and hand over his own son to be given into the worst execution and most humiliating death possible, which is crucifixion. But that's exactly what God is going to do, and we see that in verse 3, because it says, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. See, you notice how verse 3 comes after verse 2. See, see, 3 comes after 2, right? The reason why 3 comes after 2 is because, because God is in control, because God has planned for His Son to be crucified in two days' time, then, in verse 3, the chief priests and the elders of the people scheme to arrest Jesus to kill Him. It was because God had planned all these things that therefore these chief priests were planning to kill Jesus. But why? Why was the death of Jesus by crucifixion so important? Well, we're given over to the next scene in verse 6 onwards where we find Jesus in Bethany, this town very close to Jerusalem, in the house of Simon the leper. Now, probably Simon was a leper. He wasn't presently a leper. He was a leper maybe Jesus healed him. So, you know, he invited Jesus over for dinner. Or maybe not dinner, lunch or something, right? While he was there, a woman comes with like a... Hey, this is a good illustration. Like a big bottle, like a shampoo-sized bottle of perfume. Okay, Because, you know, when we think of perfume, we always think of those... Ridiculously expensive small bottles of liquid that women buy, right? But actually in those days, it was like big shampoo-sized bottles of perfume. This woman brought this big shampoo-sized bottle of perfume, broke off the top and poured the whole thing on Jesus. Now imagine if you were Jesus. Someone invited you over for dinner. Some strange woman comes over to you, pours a whole bottle of perfume on you. I don't know about you, I might be a bit irritated. I really don't like it when those saleswomen come and spray stuff on my hand. Right? I really hate it, right? Can you imagine someone pouring a bottle of perfume on you? But Jesus is not irritated. He's not unhappy, right? In fact, it is the disciples who are unhappy. They're saying, look, this bottle of perfume would, as we have seen in other Gospels, cost one year's wages to buy and you've just wasted it. You could have given this money over to the poor. But notice what Jesus says. And this is where we have to pay attention in verse 10. Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with me, but you will not always have me. Oh sorry, the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now Jesus says that ordinarily, this would not have been a good thing. It would have been better to take the money and spend it on the poor. But in this particular circumstance, she had done a beautiful thing. And this particular circumstance was because Jesus was going to be crucified in two days' time. And because a crucified man doesn't get a proper burial, he doesn't get anointed with perfume and put oil over his, perf- uh, his body, so God had actually intended in a supernatural way for this woman to come with her bottle of perfume to pour over her body because Jesus wasn't going to have a shower before he went to the cross. He was going to the cross in two days' time and this was his anointing to prepare his body for his death. But Jesus says something even more interesting. He says that wherever the good news is preached then in many years later people will remember what this woman did for Jesus. Now if we didn't know Jesus to be who he was we would think that Jesus was a lunatic or a megalomaniac. Because he's saying or predicting that after the death by crucifixion, people would preach and praise about the good news of Jesus Christ. But not only would they preach and praise about the good news of Jesus Christ, they would actually preach about this woman, as we are today, as we are listening today, who anointed his body with perfume. Now, how would Jesus be so confident that after he died, people will be still talking about him? How could he be so confident that after he died, people will be preaching about him in the world? And how could he be so confident that people will be writing and remembering what this woman had done? Unless you're a lunatic or egotistical megalomaniac or you're really the Christ, the Son of God, who knows the future, you could not say this confidently. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying, that what this woman did would be preached about 2,000 years after his death because he knew that his death would be actually preached about. Now, as we go on to the next section, Jesus goes on to preach about why this good news is going to be preached. We're introduced to the character of Judas Iscariot. He was one of the people who was at the the meal. And for whatever reason, although we know the real reason, which is God working in his heart. So, the high priest wanted to murder Jesus. God works in the heart of Judas Iscariot. Iscariot. So, Judas goes to the chief priest who want to kill Jesus. And they say, he says to them, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So, they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver and from then on Judas watched from opportunity to hand Jesus over to him now if you look at this passage they go into the city they prepare to eat the Passover as they are lying down okay so in the ancient world they don't eat the meals like we do right they don't sit around the table and chairs they kind of like slouch in these like bean sort of things right so as they're eating they, they obviously don't have chopsticks or so they use their hands right so they're dipping pieces of bread into their um, the bowl and jesus says in verse 21 and while they were eating he said truly i tell you one of you will betray me they were very sad and began to say to him one after another surely you don't mean me lord Verse 23, Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man, it would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. So we see here two days left 48 hours and all the pieces are coming to place right you got the chief priests you got Rabbi, uh, sorry we got uh, Judas and now uh, we see the betrayal uh, the major theme of this section is the word betrayal right in verse 24 25 the word betrayal keeps being repeated over and over again betrayal 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 Jesus says that he must go as it has been written about him. Verse 24. The Son of Man will go just as it has been written or it is written about him. Now, if you look in the Old Testament, God had promised that there would be a character called the suffering servant. He's very important in the Bible, right? Is a mysterious character called the suffering servant who would die innocently for other people. And many people feel that that is the passage that Jesus is referring to here. So in Isaiah, the prophet, if you look up here in the slide, okay, God had prophesied that there would be this mysterious person and he would be despised and rejected by men A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities, he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, Each of us have turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. So, in Isaiah, there was this mysterious person who was going to be crushed by God. He was stricken by God and pierced by God, but through him, people would get peace and forgiveness would be received. And that's the character that actually reminds us of Jesus Christ. He was an innocent man, despised and rejected, sentenced to death. And here we see in this passage, he was betrayed by his closest disciples who esteemed him not, who who actually did not value Jesus. And that was Judas. I never realized this before, until I prepared for this sermon, but 30 pieces of silver is actually not a lot of money. If you look in the book of Exodus, next slide, you see, oh no, next one, you see that actually 30 pieces of silver is the, 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 the what someone pays for the price of a slave in which you accidentally um, uh, murders. Right? So, if you, if a bull goes a male or a female slave, that means, you know, the bull, like, you know, uses his, uh, what do you call those things? The horns and, and and kills you right the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master the slave and the bull must be stoned so actually 30 pieces of silver is hardly anything for the Christ and I, I think that's the message that we're meant to receive from this passage that Jesus the suffering servant is despised by even his closest disciple who values him the price of a slave and here was a man who was his closest disciple who ate with him walked with him talked with him lived with him and yet jesus was like a lamb going to the slaughter All right that's what they say isaiah right like a lamb going to the slaughter that was jesus he didn't argue with judas he didn't punch judas he didn't curse judas he just let Judas do what he had to do to betray him. And the reason was because Jesus was fulfilling the role as the suffering servant. Now, as we look at this passage again in uh, the next slide, it says very clearly we've already seen that the death of Jesus on the cross was so that he would pay and be a substitute for us, the suffering servant would take our place. So again in verse 10, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offering and prolong his day, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, Many, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I'll give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils of the strong because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You see, you notice over and over again he's in guilt offering. He justifies many, he bears their iniquity, he pays for their sins, he makes intercession for the transgressor. So why does Jesus have to go to the cross? Why was he betrayed by Judas? Because he was the suffering servant. See, we said in the very beginning in the introduction that we cannot do enough good to break free from the consequence of our sins in our lives, the judgment of our sins. God prophesied that he would send the suffering servant To bring salvation to us. And that's why Jesus goes to the cross as our substitute. So if you look at this slide, I'll fill out the slides as we go along, right? Jesus goes to the cross as the suffering servant. But in case we don't understand the, the imagery well enough, Jesus goes on in verse 26 to 31. Now, we've read chapter 26 and it keeps telling us, you notice, that the Passover is coming. The Passover is coming. Two days time, the Passover is coming. Jesus is going to die after the Passover, right? God had 365 days to choose from. Why did He choose the day after the Passover? Because the Passover was important. And Jesus takes the words of the Passover and applies it to Himself. See, for thousands of years, the way the Passover was celebrated was to remember the Passover event in history. Jesus takes the Passover event remembering history to remember tomorrow when He dies. You see, the Passover was like the most important celebration in the life of Israel. They remembered how God in the last miracle, the last plague, sent an angel of death over the whole of Egypt and He said to His people, you either kill a sacrificial lamb and you put paint of blood on your door and the angel of death will pass over or you do nothing and the angel of death will kill the firstborn. That is easy choice, right? I got kids on my family. Who do I prefer to die, the sacrificial lamb or my firstborn child? Or maybe we'll ask Nick the question. Anyway, very easy choice, right? Sacrificial lamb, right? Is it rural or the lamb? Okay, must be the lamb. The lamb, that's right. So Jesus is saying that he is doing the same thing except he is now the sacrificial lamb. And now, instead of the angel of death passing over them so that they will not die, it is God's judgment for eternity passing over them. But even more remarkable is why Jesus... Go- oh, sorry. So, so if you look at the slide, next slide, you see that Jesus is not just fulfilling the suffering servant. He's fulfilling the Passover lamb. But Jesus is not just fulfilling the sacrificial uh, Passover lamb and the suffering servant, if you look in verse 27, he is also fulfilling the Sinai covenant because he said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, in Exodus chapter 24, when God's people entered into the promised land, they made a promise to God, a covenant with God. And it was a covenant made with blood. So Moses, together with all the Israelites, they sacrificed the bulls and they took the blood. Okay, so you imagine how much blood there would be in these bowls, right? There's gallons of blood. They put it into the bowls, and the other half he sprinkled the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Then Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these, these words. Now, Jesus, now instead of taking the the blood of bulls, He takes His own blood, and with this blood of a violent sacrificial death, uses this blood to bring a new covenant. Now, the old covenant wasn't very helpful, right? Because the old covenant was based on, oh, go back to the side, we will do all these things, right? that, That we've agreed to do. But this new covenant that Jesus makes of his blood is an unconditional covenant where he is saying, look, it is not what you do, it is what I do. I will die on the cross so that many people will receive forgiveness of sins. So this covenant is based on faith and trust. Faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Passover lamb and the suffering servant. So you see that actually Jesus on the cross fulfills three of the Old Testament prophecies and the promises. Now a few weeks ago, is this being recorded? Oh, okay, I better not say what I was going to say. A few weeks ago I met a very serious, earnest man who was very serious about Christianity and he actually organized to have coffee with me. So I went to meet him and uh he was, a very, he was serious about Christian things, and he was very serious about religious things. He basically just bombarded me with one question after another, right? And uh, he, was, he was a very intense person, and he asked me a very good questions, I felt. And he asked me this uh, difficult question. He said, you know, one of the leaders in my country uh, does not believe in Jesus Christ, believes in another religion, And uh, I respect this man greatly. This man has since died. Will this man go to heaven or hell? So I said to him, I said, well, it's not what I say, it's what the Bible says, right? And I said, well, based on what the Bible says, this person that you highly respect will not go to heaven because he does not have a substitute. Then we began to talk about Why is it so important to have a substitute to die for you to take away your sins? And that's exactly what the cross represents. It is the only way to God because only in Jesus can you find a substitute to pass over all your sins and die as an innocent suffering servant so that he will bear all your iniquities. Upon you, where God actually makes a contract, oops, a contract with you, where He promises once and for all that you will be saved. Now, I think this is such an important passage because I was reading this very interesting thing just last night, and I thought, okay, that would be great for my sermon tomorrow, where J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, spoke to C.S. Lewis, who Apparently, this was the conversation one night to 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, which actually moved C.S. Lewis from believing in God to being a Christian. And apparently, J.R. Tolkien told Lewis that it's not just important to understand the truth of the death of Jesus Christ, but you need to accept the meaning of the death of Jesus Christ. Because C.S. Lewis asked Tolkien and said, how does the death of a man 2,000 years ago make a difference for me living in England today? And J.R. To- uh, Token, sorry, right? how is it, J.R. Token, right? Is it Rule Token? Yeah, JR Rule Token said it is because the meaning of the death is that Jesus is a sacrifice for you, a substitute for you. And that's why it matters today. So being a Christian, it's not just about believing the truth that Jesus died, but understanding and believing the meaning of why Jesus died. Now the last part of this passage is even just as remarkable as what we have read so far, because in verse 29, Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now this is amazing. Jesus, in the last 31 verses, has been able to see the future. He sees that after He dies, the gospel of His death will be preached to the world. He sees that the woman anointing Him with perfume will be preached into the world. And he sees even beyond that because he says, when I come back again, when I come, just like remember the parable last week we read of Jesus bringing in the wedding banquet, when Jesus comes again with his Father's kingdom, he will then, on that day, for the first time since the Passover meal, drink wine, the fruit of the wine. Now, again, unless you are Jesus Christ, Son of God, how can you make that sort of statement? I mean, you're either a lunatic or some weird person dreaming up dreams, right? But here's a person who's going to the cross on the very next day saying that I will come back from the dead, I will come in my Father's kingdom and I'm going to drink wine on that day with you. But, obviously, if we are listening to the preaching of Jesus and the good news today, if we are listening about the woman who poured perfume on Jesus today, then surely he knows what he's talking about when Jesus says he's going to come back again with his father's kingdom and there'll be a great banquet and he's going to drink wine on that day. Then there's a fact and a reality that we can believe in because everything that Jesus has said so far has been true. So as we come to this passage and we come to the end of it, it really gives us a lot of fruit for thought. The first fruit of thought for us is, will you drink in the heavenly banquet with Jesus when He comes again? Because the only way to share that drink of wine with Jesus when He comes again is to accept His substitutionary death as the suffering servant, as the Passover lamb. Like I said before, when God in the first time told the Israelites, you either sacrifice a lamb or you sacrifice Ruel," who would you sacrifice? It's a very easy choice, right? You sacrifice a lamb. In the same way, it's a very easy choice for us, right? Would you sacrifice your own eternity in hell or would you rather Jesus Christ be sacrificed for you? That's a no-brainer, no? It's a no-brainer. Because Jesus has already paid for it. right? You, you, just say, you just say thank you to the Passover lamb that is Jesus Christ. I remember a true story I read where of a man who was a beggar. I think it was a Reader's Digest. You know Reader's Digest, you get all sorts of stories, right? And um, a wealthy relative died and left him this huge sum of money. The lawyer tracked down the beggar and said, hey, this wealthy relative who is unknown to you died and uh, you are the only sole heir or whatever and you are you know you are the heir of this wonderful house and money and everything all you have to do is you just got to go to the lawyer's office pick it up and you will be all there apparently in this true story I can't vouch for it the beggar never went to collect the money you know he died a beggar for the rest of his life uh, what a fool he was right I think in the same way, God has at great cost given us His Son Jesus so that we can be set free from eternal judgment. If we don't step up and accept the gift of God, the Passover lamb, the suffering servant that God gives us, then we'll be making a worse mistake than that beggar did. Because it is actually planned for us so that we may accept the gift of jesus christ and if we don't then we really only have ourselves to blame let's go to god in prayer dear father as we come before you today we really want to pray that you will open our eyes to see the majesty of the gift that you've given us in jesus christ that he is the suffering servant innocent man who dies to take away our sins he is our guilt offering he is the one who bears our iniquity. Dear Father, we also want to pray that we understand that Jesus is the Passover Lamb, the one who dies so that judgment may pass over us, and that with His blood, the blood of a violent sacrificial death, He has made an unconditional promise, a contract, a covenant, that those who trust in Him will be forgiven of our sins. And we pray that we will make the right choice to take his sacrifice and to accept it as our own, and we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.